the radical left, the Marxists, the anarchists, the agitators, the looters, and people who, in many instances, have absolutely no clue what they are doing. Welcome to What Radicalized You, a podcast of stories and experiences that have shaped people's ideas about our world and the way society should function. I'm Alex. I'm a writer and a communist and anti-imperialist based in Louisville and Cincinnati. My goal is to strive for our collective liberation. My radicalization, like many others, has been a continuous process, a journey over many years comprised of a web of crisscrossing and tangled threads. The most prevalent theme across my radicalization has been the United States as the primary driver of terror and suffering around the world. A pivotal moment where I can clearly delineate an important step in this process were the years 2014 and 2016. So having been raised in a liberal, pro-Democrat household, I grew up thinking Republicans were not only bad, but like the sole source of evil in our political landscape. But 2014 and 2016 really opened my eyes to the fact that this country is waging war on its internally colonized populations, specifically Black people and Indigenous people. The murder of Michael Brown and the Dakota Access Pipeline protests really highlighted that these atrocities were happening under a Democratic president who was not on the side of the people, but the side of the ruling class. This realization opened my eyes to the way in which our political system, our bourgeois democracy, functions as an extension of the ruling class and how the police are used as a cudgel of the capitalist state. At the same time, while I was in high school, I was beginning to expand my view simply beyond what was happening in the United States. So learning the history behind American intervention in Guatemala, Cuba, Haiti, Iran, Nicaragua, Korea, Indonesia, Argentina, Libya, the Philippines, Vietnam, the list goes on and on. This played a critical role in shaping my understanding of the U.S. as the primary force of evil in the world. It was also during this time that I understood that Palestinians were being subjected to ethnic cleansing by the settler colonial state of Israel. Once I knew that this was a matter of colonialism and genocide, it was impossible to overlook just how purposefully misconstrued the Palestinian struggle for liberation is, with the demonization of resistance in abundance in the mainstream press. Fanon writes, for the native, objectivity is always directed against him, which is clear probably in no other example than Palestine. Another pivotal moment that I imagine I share in common with many people is the 2016 election. I wasn't 18 yet, so I wasn't able to vote, but for many of my peers, this would be their first ever election. At the time, Donald Trump winning seemed like the worst possible outcome. Yet at the same time, even though I wasn't a communist yet, I was frustrated by the fact that we were forced to choose between two people who were both agents of imperialism, more or less. Having learned about her role in destroying Libya and facilitating conditions for slave markets in the country, I was already disillusioned with the two-party system and the cogs we were expected to jump through every four years that resulted in the same outcome, no matter who was in office. 
the perpetuation of imperialism and the suffering of people across the U.S. and the global south. Throughout high school, I learned in the classroom and sought out information independently, and through this combination, I realized that liberalism was not going to save us. However, I also hadn't yet developed a politically advanced politic, since I had moved from being a liberal to an anti-capitalist social democrat. But thankfully, I kept learning and realized that, that wasn't enough. When it came to the process of unlearning what I previously thought I knew and learning the truth about capitalist society and the history of capitalism and imperialism, sitting with my discomfort was a pivotal part of that process. Franz Fanon discusses the concept of cognitive dissonance and that sometimes people hold a core belief that is very strong. When they are presented with evidence that works against that belief, the new evidence cannot be accepted. And because it is so important to protect the core belief, they will rationalize, ignore, and even deny anything that doesn't fit in with the core belief. And that perfectly describes what inhibits a lot of political development for liberals, reckoning with the fact that our entire country and political system is built on slavery, genocide, and inequality requires a radical shift in our thinking and action, since we are thus forced to envisage what a new system, decolonization, communism will look like and organize to achieve it. The more I learned about the evils of the United States, the more convinced I became that it was entirely irredeemable. But it wasn't until my sophomore year of college when I fully realized that communism was the answer. All these different pieces of history and current events seemed disparate and confusing until I understood how they're connected through capitalism and imperialism as systems that constitute the world we live in. And similarly, when I started thinking about how the relationship between the domestic and international functions, Marxism also made those links click for me. Recalling those radicalizing moments of police brutality in Ferguson and Palestine when I was in high school and not yet a Marxist, I was also just then learning about the countless coups and campaigns of terror around the world. And although I was able to piece together that the U.S. is actually the bad guy, it wasn't until I was reading theory that I gained a deeper understanding of why and how all these things were happening. 2020 marks another year in the process of my radicalization with the summer uprisings across the country. I am from and currently live in Louisville, Kentucky, the city in which Breonna Taylor was unjustly murdered by police. These protests were not just on the news in some distant place. They were in the heart of my city, and at the time, they seemed to signal a turning point a reckoning with our entire political system. However, we also witnessed during that summer a nationwide co-optation of the movement by the establishment in order to dilute the political nature of the uprisings, replacing liberation with concessions. The system merely shuffled the cards while still maintaining the overall structure. In fact, in April of this year, the news came out that the police officer who murdered Breonna Taylor had been hired in a different county. While not surprising, this shows the way in which racism and capitalism are so ingrained that nothing will change without an entire overhaul of the whole system. As I mentioned before, my radicalization has been an accumulation of various threads, including my own material conditions, current events at the time, and learning more and more history. Both my parents are teachers, so education has always been an important part of my life. And even from a very young age, it never made sense to me why teachers, who I saw firsthand work for hours outside of the actual workday, 
get paid scraps compared to CEOs who just made money off the backs of people doing the actual work. Yet again, I found the answers in Marxism and other texts that elucidated the truth of capitalist exploitation. I am beyond fortunate that my own educational experiences have enabled me to explore issues related to capitalism and imperialism in depth, which helped me refine my thinking while I also learned independently. Even in high school, I got the opportunity to read speeches by Malcolm X and Kwame Ture, as well as the banking concept from Pedagogy of the Oppressed. And although I wasn't politically where I am today, those readings definitely opened my mind to the importance of organizing and the actual meaning of power. Because power won by the people is how we gain liberation, not by working through pre-approved avenues handed to us by the ruling class. As I mentioned earlier, I became a communist in college, and I delved into the works of theory that would develop and inform my own politics. Solely on an individual level, the professors I encountered pushed me intellectually, and they gave me the opportunity within an academic space to further research the avenues that most interested me in relation to our chosen subjects. For example, one of my favorite things I've ever written in college was a Marxist analysis of Things Fall Apart and the interesting narrative of the life of Olauda Equiano. I was also able to pour over numerous types of media, from poems to academic articles to films, through classes about the Spanish Civil War, neoliberalism and globalization, Latin American history, and post-colonial theory. Reading texts by Che and Fidel for class instead of on my own felt like a treat catered specifically to me. <laughs> through my independent research, and intellectual collaboration with others, I grew in my ability to create and refine my own analyses. This intellectual development informed my political consciousness, since I was able to both read theory and apply it to current material conditions, an important aspect of Marxist analysis. Additionally, sifting through dense texts with others offers more insight than doing so alone, and this collaboration has been a key part of how my politics have developed. On an interpersonal level, like I mentioned, I was very fortunate to have such an informative education. However, attempting to organize at the collegiate level posed its own challenges and definitely illuminated the contradictions of education under a capitalist system. During the summer of 2020, in the midst of the uprisings, I contributed to efforts led by Black students to create more equitable conditions on the university level. After one particular phone call I had with a professor, I learned that the university had only one therapist of color and that a new one hadn't been hired since the 90s. So given that this university was a predominantly white institution, there was all the more reason to hire more than one therapist that could specifically understand the experiences of black students and students of color in a way that a white therapist just could not. But the response to the student demands by the university were less than lackluster, and they revealed at the end of the day that a university under capitalism functions as a business, so profit will always prevail over the well-being and very humanity of its students. This campus struggle radicalized me even further in that I experienced firsthand the way that capital grinds people under its heel and utilizes the difficulty of student organizing to its advantage. Furthermore, having attended a Jesuit university, the contradiction between the values stated, for example, caring for the whole person and embodying social justice values, and the values practiced, highlighted just how omnipresent capitalism's hold over us is. 
In this sense, this situation revealed the urgent necessity of political education outside the restraints of capitalist profit motive. I have witnessed the importance and effectiveness of political education firsthand being a member of Cincinnati Socialists. In addition to organizing within the local Cincinnati community around important issues such as housing and tenants' rights, we have also led a radical theory reading group, as a part of which I led a discussion on how Europe underdeveloped Africa. This text was enlightening and honestly life-changing. Using dialectical historical analysis, Rodney defines underdevelopment and imperialism and traces the history of pre-colonial African society, colonial Africa, and quote-unquote post-colonial Africa, or in other words, neo-colonial relations. Preparing presentations on each chapter also forced me to engage with the text in such a way that I could relate what we were learning in an engaging and accessible way while discussing these complex political systems. Specifically, Rodney's text provides us with an important understanding of the way in which imperialism is a system that has structured the very fabric of every part of our world. Even the Barclays Center in New York is named after the bank that reaped profits from slavery. Because of the centrality of imperialism as the highest stage of capitalism, it is especially important for us white workers in the imperial core to understand how we have benefited and still benefit from the exploitation of Africa specifically and the global south more broadly. Rodney also traces the evolution of capitalist powers, with the United States emerging as the dominant capitalist hegemon after World War II. Residing in the belly of the beast, the United States is our primary enemy, and organizing for decolonization and communism is the only way to ensure that we even have hope for a future. More broadly, with Cincy Socialists, I have been able to use my writing as a means of reaching people and raising awareness about lesser-known yet equally important issues in people, as well as analyzing current events from a socialist and anti-imperialist lens. For example, I wrote a piece raising awareness around Keith Lamar's unjust treatment at the hands of the prison industrial complex and carceral legal system. He was wrong wrongfully convicted and has been kept in solitary confinement while awaiting execution by the state. In the face of this inhumanity, Lamar himself has advocated not only for his own innocence, but also for prison reform more broadly. Being able to shed light not only on Lamar's unjust incarceration, but also the recently failed color revolution in Cuba, labor struggles, and the importance of anti-imperialism more generally have made me more aware of the power of language and the importance of using my writing to highlight contemporary and historical issues that affect all working people. Recently, an article I wrote entitled From Atlanta to Palestine, Liberation by Any Means Necessary, was published by the Hampton Institute, a left-wing think tank. I connected the escalating police violence and arrests of Stop Cop City protesters with the escalation of violence against Palestinians and raiding of Palestinian residences and refugee camps by Israeli occupation forces. Cop City is a $90 million police training facility planned to be built on top of a forest they plan to bulldoze. Protesters have organized against its construction and in retaliation, activists and bail fund organizers have been arrested and even charged with domestic terrorism on bogus charges, with one protester having been murdered in cold blood by police. Simultaneously, the IOF has carried out mass raids, and even more recently, within the past few days, launched a massacre in Janine, a refugee camp. 
They killed 12 people and left hundreds injured and even more displaced. By connecting this escalation of violence and sheer brutality, I wanted to elucidate how these struggles are interconnected and how the collaboration between the US and so-called Israel is because they depend on each other to maintain their imperialist hegemony. For example, the US gives Israel $3.8 billion every year in military funding, meaning our tax dollars contribute to the ethnic cleansing of Palestinians. Simultaneously, the U.S. sends its police officers to receive training from Israeli occupation forces, and when they return, they inflict violence on the colonized and working-class people in the U.S. It is also important to highlight that bringing an end to settler colonialism, imperialism, and all oppressive systems entails a resistance by any means necessary. And the escalation of state violence by both settler colonies means that they are afraid of the growing resistance and solidarity with these struggles for liberation. We are also recording this on the day of Algerian independence, which shows us that liberation is both possible and that the forces of colonialism can be defeated. Walter Rodney writes, so long as there is political power, so long as a people can be mobilized to use weapons, and so long as a society has the opportunity to define its own ideology and culture, then the people of that society have some control over their own destinies. Above all, an anti-imperialist analysis is always necessary. It is not enough to be anti-capitalist. It is not enough to be anti-war. To be communist and to be anti-imperialist are two necessary linkages that shape my holistic understanding of the world and how I and others relate to and move within it. My comfort here in the imperial core means nothing if people around the world are still suffering, are still being exploited by the West. And it also means nothing as long as Black people and Indigenous people don't gain their own liberation. And as a white resident in a settler colony, being a traitor to whiteness, a traitor to the settler colonial project, is the necessary work to reach the future that we desire. Imperialism and capitalism are global systems, and it's resistance across borders that will lead to our collective liberation. Fidel once said, I dream of a world that the capitalist philosophy will never make possible, and it is up to us now to make his dream come to fruition. <laughs>